Amen. Praise God. We'd love to welcome everyone tonight. If you are a guest in here this evening, we welcome you. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us. Amen. And if you are watching us on theantioch.com, we welcome you this evening, and we're so glad that you have tuned in uh, wherever you may be, whether it's live or on demand. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. I feel tonight that uh, I've been given an assignment by the Holy Ghost. And uh, I have mixed emotions to this because what I feel like the Lord has given me touches on some very controversial subjects that are hotly debated in even among Christian ranks. Even in uh, people that believe similar to what we believe as doctrinal basis, there are things that I'm going to be discussing tonight that you can find those on each side of the aisle. And so tonight, by the help of the Lord, I, I hope to help come from an angle tonight that maybe show you something that you have never seen before. And again, it's not so that you can pat me on the back and say, well, that was awesome. But it's hopefully somehow that you can see something tonight that will help you, first and foremost, get closer to Jesus. And second of all, let things that are in the Word of God become more prevalent in your life. I believe that the devil has always attacked the church, but there are certain areas I believe the devil has attacked the church in, certain things that he has tried to steal from the church that unlock certain things in spiritual blessings and spiritual uh, application. And so we're going to talk about some of that tonight. And I'm going to give you my subject, and you're going to go, what in the world is that? And I'll, we'll get to it in the end, but I just want to just throw it out there. Tonight, I want to talk to you on what are you smoking? What are you smoking? It's nothing to do with what you think it has to do with. Let's just throw that out there. But I'm going to get you to think. What are you smoking? We all know, we understand, if you read the Gospels, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic Gospels, we read, in many cases, the sort of clashing between Jesus and the Pharisees. I'm going to make a statement tonight that may shock you, but in some ways, some of you have heard me uh, speak on this before, and I want to allude to it for a moment. The Pharisees get sort of a bad rap. It's a very controversial statement. But if you peel back some of the layers and you don't just take, you know, people in the church, they throw that word around, well, you're just being Pharisaical. You don't even know what that means. 
Be careful what you say when you've never studied the real term. Oh, Pharisee, that's pe- people Jesus had conflict with. No, no, no. You've got to peel back some layers. Because there was 400 years. I'm, I'm, I try to give you the, the, the short version of this. Israel comes out of bondage. And there's this 400 years of silence. Where God does not speak. And in that silence, there arose three groups out of which their whole purpose was to see the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. Each one of these groups had a certain ideology of how that was going to take place. There was a group that believed in the the messianic restoration of the kingdom. In fact, you can see the apostles, the disciples, the 12 disciples, especially in their dealings with Jesus, there are several times that they allude to, is this what you really came here for? There was another group that believed the kingdom would be established through a revolt. You go through and you read some of the Maccabee uprising and there's a lot of things there that, that, that lead to the idea that there was a group that were looking for a revolt that would sort of rise up and would come against the the ruling powers of Jerusalem, drive out the Romans, and let God's kingdom be established. In fact, if you read closely and you study a little bit, you'll find that this was part of the concern that the high priest and the Pharisees had when they heard the first dealings of Jesus. They thought that that's what was happening. There was this sort of uprising. They didn't think Messiah, they thought uprising. There was actually a point in time when Jesus was young that there was an uprising that was put down viciously by the Romans. And I believe, if I remember correctly, someone may be able to know the exact number, there was over 2,000 people crucified as a result of that squashing. But the third group believed that if we do everything exactly the way it's supposed to be done and we don't deviate at all, then God will be obligated to restore His kingdom. That group is from where the Pharisees arose. But the problem was, it wasn't the fact that they were, that they were trying to see God restore the kingdom, but the problem was, they were doing sort of the right thing in the wrong way. And they began to add things that weren't being added, and their whole purpose was, we have to be perfect. Because if we're perfect, then God will be obligated to restore. That's why truly there are true, true Pharisees are not double standard people. True Pharisees are people that are living for God, that are trying to be perfect to obligate God to do something in their life. So when you say somebody's, well, you're a hip, you're a, you're a Pharisee because you live one way out there and you live in a, no, no, no. If you're in here and you're trying to live religious and not do anything wrong, that's Pharisaical. When you go around telling people that you can't do this and you can't do that and this is what you have to do, that's Pharisaical. Because that's what the Pharisee, you can't do that. If you do that, you're going to mess it up for all of us. And so Jesus and the Pharisees had these clashes. One of the, one of the hotly contested one we find in Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, verse number 1. 
Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they came from the marketplace... They do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes ask him, why do your, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And he answered and said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy to you hypocrites as it is written? This people honors me with their lips, but the heart is from front me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine of the commandments of men. Now watch this. He just pointed out sort of their attack where they say to him, listen, how can you let your disciples eat with unwashed hands? And Jesus flipped the script. He called them out and he says this, verse 8, for laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, washing of pitchers and cup and many of such things. He said to them, all too well, you reject commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses says, honor your father and mother. And he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corbin then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother, making the word of God no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down as many such things do. Now, that doesn't really make sense to us today. It doesn't really understand the context. That, leave that up there for a second. So you got to get it here for a moment. They come to him and say, look, what's up with this? You let your disciples eat without washing hands. He turned around and he called him out and he said, Moses told you to honor your father and mother. A Hebrew was required, when you say honor and father and mother, we often think of honoring through speaking, good things, honoring. Or my, my mom and my father are great. That's what we think of honoring. That's not what the word honoring in that context means. Hebrews were required, a parent was required to put money aside and give it to their children. So if I was a parent, and I had these three young men here, come on boys, you can be mine for a moment. We'll discuss who the mother is later, I guess. <laughs> if I'm the father of these three young men, I give a portion to him, a portion to him, and a portion to him. Here's why I do that. Because when I'm old and I can no longer work, what I've given to them, they will then give back to me as a retirement plan. So to honor your father and mother, I would give them each a portion a percentage of what I earned, they would hold on to that. And when I got older and feeble, they'd come to me and say, Dad, what do you need? You got some, you got some bills to pay? Here's some money based off what I gave to them. But here's the problem. The Hebrews took a, a, a Hebraic word, transliterated it into Greek, and said Corbin. If you called Corbin or said Corbin, what that meant is that you could 
take the money that was supposed to be set aside. So come here, Nathaniel. Nathaniel doesn't really want to honor me as his father. So what Nathaniel does is he calls Corbin. And what that means is he takes the money that was supposed to be given back to me. He takes it to the temple. He gives it to the temple treasury. They give him back a receipt. I go off living. My other two sons who love me take care of me. Corbin over here ain't giving me nothing. And then when I die, little old sneaky Nathaniel goes back to the temple, shows them his receipt, and gets the money back. And God said, you're over here telling me that my disciples don't wash their hands, but you've got a scam going on where Moses told you, honor your father and mother, but you say, Corbin, and you walk up to the temple, give that money because you're giving it to God, but fully expecting to get it back in a moment. He said, fellas, that ain't right. Mm, I'm not sure. You, I, I'm, not, I'm not really sure. Uh, that's, that's the way it's supposed to be. Because you see, Corbin comes out of a Hebraic meaning. It's not something, it was, it was, it was perverted by the Pharisees and made into this sort of money practice. But translated... Out of the Greek, it means gift. But the Hebrew translation for Corbin is an offering or sacrifice. Give me a moment, i got to lay this foundation. Most believers perceive an offering or sacrifice as something they give up to God. But the problem is, the meaning of Corbin is far different than our modern-day perception of an offering or sacrifice. The problem, though, is is that there is no true English word that gives us the full scope of a Corbin mentality, of a true Old Testament Corbin mentality. We, We see what it means when Jesus spoke of it in Matthew 7. But what does it mean... When it was translated, the Hebrew spelling is Q-O-R-B-A-N, translated into offering in the English. There's no true way to describe, because here it is. The term offering or sacrifice to most of us implies giving up something of value to oneself for the benefit of another. Or having to do without something of value... And so the idea of Corbin being an offering where we give something up doesn't really connotate what the word offering and the first time we see it translated is in Leviticus when it talks about an offering in Leviticus 1. The real understanding of Corbin is deeper than that because the root word of the word Corbin isn't simply meaning to give offering. But the root word is the implication of relationship and one's relationship with God and lies at the root of the word, which means to draw near. So the 
understanding and the root of the understanding of Corban means to grow, to draw near to God. They would say Corban Lahashim, which means to draw near to God. Corban Lahashim. Hashim is the name of God. Corban Lahashim, to draw near to God. And the idea, when you see the word in Hebrew, Corban, and you bring an offering, the offering wasn't giving something to God, but the offering was an act to get closer to God. The offering wasn't giving something up of value, but the offering was giving something to him based off your relationship and your desire to get closer to him in that relationship. You have five offerings, five main offerings. Five main offerings that's given to us in Leviticus 6, 7, and 8. First offering, burnt offering. Second offering, Grain offering. Third offering, the fellowship or the peace offering. Fourth offering, the sin offering. The fifth offering is the trespass offering. The sin offering was called the hatat. It dealt with your transgressions to God. The other one, this is kind of a deviation, but it's something that we need to understand even in a modern context. If you sinned against another man, you brought a trespass offering or sham offering. And it simply wasn't about coming to apologize. But in that offering, you were, you were, you were showing your remorse and forgiveness to what you did, seeking to make that right with your brother and providing an avenue of restitution. So the whole idea, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. If you did wrong to your brother, simply asking for forgiveness wasn't good enough. But you had to bring restoration to that brother. And God said, if you bring me something without dealing with your junk against your brother, turn around, go home and deal with it before you bring me back something else. He was so serious about the things that we harbor in our lives. That he would even stop the commandments of the offering and say, deal with this first. It's not where we're going tonight. I'm not, going on, I'm not getting on unforgiveness. But it's something to be thought about for a moment. We'll get into this later. Bring the sacrifice of praise, the offering of praise. Even your praise has no effect when you've got stuff in your heart. You're better off keeping your money and leaving it in your pocket than coming up here and putting money in here when you're harboring stuff in your heart towards someone else. Because whatever God has promised you as a return blessing... The problem is, and this is not where we're going here tonight, but the problem is, is the sort of loops that we jump, the hoops that we jump through in our minds to justify it. And yes, are there reasons that we can try to figure out? Is it right or wrong? That's a whole other subject for the other day. The bottom line is, there are things in the Word of God. The blood, we can go through all that. We know, what the, we know the, the story and the gospel and, the, and all the things and that. But 
Even in the Old Testament, he said, don't even come with your offering until you first deal with forgiveness towards your brother. And he said this, Matthew 5, 23, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Folks, God does not take lightly the stuff that we harbor in our hearts. No matter the justification, no matter how from a human, human standpoint it's difficult to deal with in God's idea, and God's theology, He does not turn His face away and say, well, you know, you deal with it when you feel like you have the strength to deal with it. And the ramifications... You see, I, God gets a lot of bad raps. Because you got people that live their life totally their own way. Come to church, and then people look around and go, well, they come to church, look at their life, why isn't God blessing them? And you have no idea the disconnect between what they're doing here, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, and what they're doing there. There's another, there's many, but there's another reason. You can't compare yourself among yourself. You can't judge because you know what? You, unless you're going to follow me 24 hours a day, you don't know my lifestyle. Now, unfortunately, thank, thankfully to social media, we know most more about your lifestyle now than we ever have. And there's no, there's no, there's no more mystery to why some of the inconsistencies go on in spiritual walk because you can see the way we are. And God does not take lightly to this. In fact, He hammers it and hammers it throughout the Bible. And I don't know why I'm on this. It's not even what I came to talk about tonight, but I can't get past it until the Holy Ghost releases me. I can understand someone on Sunday morning not understanding this. I can see someone on Sunday night sneaking by. But we are the ones that have chosen to come here and go a step farther than everybody else. What good is it for us to come here and give another night up during our week if we're going to harbor stuff in our heart and not deal with it? You might as well stay home and watch the football and the baseball game because you're getting no benefit out of being here until you decide you're going to deal with that. But you don't know how hard it is. I didn't ask how hard it is. He didn't say, go home, pray about whether or not you think you can do it, and then come back and bring your gift if it's too difficult. He said, don't even think about doing it. Go home and deal with it. And how in the world are we ever truly going to have apostolic revival if we as brothers and sisters have stuff against each other that we can't deal with. Look, I get it. There are some people that are on this side of the church don't like people over here. And there are people over here that don't like people over here. There's some people in the front. You may not like everybody in the back. Some of you in the back may not like everybody in the front. Okay. Some of you don't, all of you don't like me. I won't finish that statement. See, I see if you're listening. 
But to excuse ourselves, isn't that the whole idea of the grace and the mercy and the blood of Jesus Christ that He forgave me? If we can't forgive one another, we're no different than the people driving by out there on the highway. But the reason we can love and forgive one another is because He forgave me and I can forgive you. Yeah, stop for a moment. This is a total rabbit trail, but it's interesting. You look at Matthew 5, 23, the word gift. Put that back up there again. Therefore, if any of you bring your gift. That word gift there in the Greek is the word duron. D-O-R-O-N. Now, this is totally a rabbit trail. If you don't believe this, I'm not asking you to believe it. It's just... The Lord showed it to me. I'm not saying you have to follow it to go to heaven. But if that word gift is durad, and that word actually means money cast into the treasury of the temple. But in Acts 2.38, it said you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That word gift there is dorea, which actually means gratuity. But the root word is that word. A gratuity is a percentage. Just throw this out there. If the Holy Ghost given to us on Acts 2.38 is a percentage, a gratuity, a part, how many gifts of the Spirit are there in 1 Corinthians 12? Someone tell me what 9 plus 1 equals. Then someone tell me what percentage of 1 is of 10. Well, we got to get some calculators out tonight. Goodness Lord. I find it interesting that the gift of the Holy Ghost is one-tenth of the gifts that are available in the Holy Ghost. So is it possible to say that even God paid tithes on the Holy Ghost when He gave it to you? I got one better. Go back. How about when Eleazar took the camels to go get Jacob a woman? Or Isaac. Eleazar goes out to get Isaac a woman. What does he go? Eleazar, which is... The Hebrew word for help, God's help, which where we get the idea of the Holy Ghost. How many camels, some of you biblical scholars, how many camels did he go on? Oh, come on, we got to read our Bible, folks. Come on, how many camels? Brother, you, we got to help these people. Someone tell me, how many camels did Eliezer take with him? Thank you. Praise God. Who said that? Thank you, Jesus. I was getting worried. Watch this. Just throw, just throw it out there. Ready? Ten camels by Eleazar, the help of God, from which we get our help, the Holy Ghost. He goes on ten camels. He's sitting on one. How many camels does that leave? 
What did those nine camels have on them? Gifts. (laughs) Women, yeah. (laughs) That would have been sight to behold. So even in the back book of Genesis, we get a type and shadow of what was to come. But let's talk about this where we want to go to today. And that is the giving of the offering. The question tonight is to what are you what are you smoking? There are several words that are used to describe the process of making the sacrifice. Starting with the preparation through the completion. The first, and I probably won't say these exactly correctly, but the first phase is the asa, which means to make ready or prepare the sacrifice. The second is the sabak, which alludes to the slaughtering of the sacrifice. And the third is the ola, which indicates the sacrifice is going up to God in smoke. Offering of a sacrifice to God. The first three sacrifices. The burnt offering, the grain offering, and the fellowship or peace offering. You would lay them upon the altar and they would be consumed in the smoke. And that smoke would rise. And the Bible describes in several passages the idea of this smoke rising to be the sweet savor to God. In other words, what was happening in this temple was being mimicked as it rose into our heavenly temple. I don't know if you know this, but there is a heavenly temple. In fact, in case you don't, I'll give you. Here's some references to the heavenly temple. Acts 17.24, Hebrews 9.24, Hebrews 9.11, Hebrews 8.2, Hebrews 8.5, Psalms 11.4, Habakkuk 2.20, Revelation 11.19, 2 Samuel 22.7, Psalms 18.6, Isaiah 66.1, Revelation 15.5, 21.22, Micah 1.2, Micah 4.2, Isaiah 2.2, Micah 4.1, Jonah 2.7, Revelation 7.15, 4.15, 14.17, 5.15.6, 16, 16.7. All of them point to the fact that there is a temple in heaven. Over 25 times, it describes the fact that there is a temple in heaven. And when you bring your sacrifice to the temple and you lay that on the altar, if it's done with the right spirit and the right heart, that offering is then taken to God as a sweet-smelling savor. And and what you're doing here is mimicked with God taking on what it is going on in heaven. You see, go back to the beginning here when we talked about the idea that Pharisees had turned around the meaning of the word Corban. I imagine they had sort of this discussion. Someone asked him, well, I thought Corban meant... An offering to draw near to God. No, no, no. You don't need to believe that Old Testament stuff anymore. Let me tell you the new meaning of the word Corbin. You know, it's funny when people start talking about, oh, we don't, we don't really, we don't really follow a lot of the Old Testament. You have a slight problem. There's so, you gotta throw out, 
I don't know, 10% of the New Testament because it quotes the Old Testament. So Paul quoted it. Peter quoted it. All of them quoted it. It was good enough to them. Why isn't it good enough for you? And so you have this idea of bringing together this offering and laying it down. And by what goes on on this offering, it's drawing a sweet savor to God. But when you strip back that offering, that Corbin, that Hebrew idea of Corbin, it was what were you doing when you approached that offering? Why were you coming to that offering? Was it to give your token, and fulfill your religious ideologies? Or will you go in there because that offering was your avenue to draw near to Him? Was bringing that another checkbox on your to-do list or were you doing that because at your core and your ultimate desire was, I want to be closer to Him. Revelation tells us that our prayers are stored. When you pull that word prayer, not only prayer, prayer and worship is stored in vials in heaven. They're stored. But, Paul, we're going to get a little controversial here. I'm about to lose a few of you, and that's okay. I already planned on it. I'm prepared. Because we're about to take a left turn and lose some of you. That's okay. So, if we've established the fact that something goes up to heaven and is pleasing to God, when the writer of Hebrews sits down in Hebrews chapter 7 and begins to talk in Hebrews 7 about Melchizedek, the king of righteousness. And then goes on to describe how Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek. And we know that Jesus is a priest, not after the order of Levi, but Jesus is a priest after the order of uh, Melchizedek. So Hebrews tells us that we don't pay tithes to dead men, but as we pay tithes to something, we're not paying it to something, we're paying it through something. You're not giving to the church, you're giving through the church. Oh, we're about to get it right now, I feel it. The idea, oh, I can't give it. The church doesn't need my money. The church doesn't need my time. Look, they got all they need. I need this. Baby, you don't even understand what you're saying because you're not giving to the church, but you're giving through the church. Woo! Because when you give... It's not going into Severin Savings Bank. I think that's where we are right now. It's not going there. But Paul said, you may bring it here, but he's getting it up there. So, can we just say for a moment? I I feel it. I know where I'm going. I'm excited to get there. I got to slow down. Can we say that in... 
Revelation, it says our prayer is stored in vials. So you got these vials in heaven, and your prayer is being stored in those vials. And when that vial gets full, it just pours on out. And, and Paul in Hebrews says that we our, our giving, our tithe, our giving is being given to God and taken to Him. What if? What if? He said, give, and we'll come back to you. Good measure. You know what a measure is? It's a cup. It's a container by which you fill. He said, give, and it will get back to you. Good measure. Press down. Shaking together. And what's that last part? Running over. So you know what, honey? I can't afford to miss a time to give. Oh, see, see, I knew I, I knew it. I knew I'm about to lose somebody. That's okay. You keep living where you're living, but somebody's about to step into an avenue of blessing. So when it comes time to give and I'm sitting there, hey, it's not, well, you know, this is what we got to do. Where we go? Okay. Well, well here we go. Okay, I did that. That's over with. What's next? No, 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 no. You totally missed it. Because the idea of offering and giving is the idea that when I do this, it's not just giving up something, but it's producing something in me that's getting me closer to Him. So when I put my pocket... Put my stuff back in my pocket. I say, well, I can't give. I need it more than they do. What I'm really saying is, God, I'm cool with where you and I are right now. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Because you know what? You see someone that's inconsistent in giving, someone's inconsistent in relationship. They go hand in hand. Giving and relationship go hand in hand because the idea of what I'm doing, I'm not giving to something, but I'm giving through something. It may have to be through here. It may be something else, but I'm not giving to you, baby, because I've got a jar up in heaven. And every time I bring it to him, good measure, pressed down, shaken together. But watch this. Go to Philippians 4.18. Philippians 4.18. Watch this. Watch what Paul says. But all I have and abound, I am full, having received of that fella. <laughs> Epaphroditus. It's hard to be cool with that kind of name. How you doing? You're, what's your name? Oh, Vernell? I'm Epaphroditus. You just, you just, your cool just went right out the window. I wonder if he was Epa for short. Or maybe he was Fro. I'm just fro. Having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Now stop right there. Don't give away my punchline. He said, you have given through this man and has blessed me. And because of the attitude of your giving, it has gone up to God as a sweet smell of sacrifice. And watch what happens, verse 19. 
But my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. But that verse is preceded by, go back to 18, by my attitude and how I bring what I bring to God. Why do you think he said I like a cheerful giver? It's not so you come smiling. Because you can look like you're smiling, be in pain. Ah, look. Oh. Oh, yeah, I'm smiling. Oh, what you doing? I'm giving. Oh, it hurts. Oh. Oh, I need new, I need gas in my car, but I'm smiling. But he said, you do this in the attitude of what intended to be. And it comes up to me. And I said, boy, that smells good. Mmm, something smells good. And I looked down, all of a sudden, as your heavenly father, ooh, something smells good. Wait a minute, you got any needs? I got money. I got riches. Whatever you need, I can supply. But it was the smell of my sacrifice that got his attention. My God, how many of you spend all your time praying for God to meet your needs? You don't even have to pray. Just smell good. Stop praying. Start smelling better. Because apparently, if he ain't supplying your needs, your smoke smells. I'm asking somebody tonight, what you smoking? I wonder if God stood here tonight and you walked up and saw the attitude in our hearts. He'd be like, Ooh, what's, ooh, ooh, mmm, that don't smell good, mmm, no, no, I, I, I don't smell so good. Someone else comes and gives. Why do you think Jesus stood and watched them give? Oh, we're talking about money and some of y'all are just, you just squirming, but really we're talking about relationship. Why do you think he stood there and watched and observed? And the one fellow came up there with his 10 bucks. Ooh, look at me. I'm up here right now. Look at me. I mean, he did the first official 360 layup ever recorded. He got up there with his money. He was spinning. Finger roll right in the bucket. And walked out like, you know, when you see them guys shoot. I mean, he just followed through like this. Oh, watch out, Jesus. Oh, yeah. Watch out, Jesus. Yeah. Woo. Put that back in my holster. Watch out. I got more where that come from. Jesus looked over that and said, are you serious? A little old lady came up, ashamed of her circumstance. Didn't want anybody to see. She just dropped it in. Walked back. Jesus said, hold up a minute. Because you just missed the whole idea. He gave out of his abundance, but she gave all she had. The attitude of what she was doing. God help us, folks. We have turned 
the idea, and it's an attack of Satan. I'm telling you, I'm saying what you say, what do you want? It's an attack. It, the pew intimidates the preaching. You can't talk about money because you're about money. And God forbid, I know it. Televangelists have absolutely taken preachers through the mud. Blab it and grab it, name it and claim it. You can't lose with the stuff I use, all that nonsense. That's perverted and beyond perverted. And because of that, they've taken the pureness of the principle of Corbin and they've turned it into Corbin. They've taken the true meaning of Corbin to bring something to God, to get closer to Him. And they've perverted it into this idea that it's just give, 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 give. And because of that, we've totally missed out on something God is trying to get through to His people. What are you smoking? Because you know what? Go back. Every service has an opportunity always for the first three offerings to be given. You have five offerings. Ready? Burnt, grain, fellowship or peace, sin, trespass. Five main offerings. Every service always has the first three and the other two should be done. First is the burnt offering. Do you know when the burnt offering was supposed to be done? When you entered in. What does the Bible say? Psalms 100. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with... We bring the sacrifice of praise. So my first offering to God that I lay on the altar when I come in here should be my offering of praise. That's why, no offense, you don't get a pass because you're just not that type of person. Because you know what? You're over there going... Our God is greater... Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. And you know what? Your smoke's going up there and God's saying, what in the world is that smell? My goodness. And you got somebody over there that's saying, and if our God is for us, then who can ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? They may not be able to sing on key, but all of a sudden it starts to rise and God said, mm, oh, 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 I smell something good. I smell something good. I smell something good. And all of a sudden you got somebody over there that's just going to the motion and they're like, what in the world's wrong with all these people? They just over here being emotional and it's just crazy. That's just not the personality. You got somebody over there just just connected with Jesus because they're given an offering of nearness. They're given an offering of praise because they know praise is the vehicle to get near to Him. And all of a sudden, praise. But you know what's awesome? That's one thing when you do it by yourself. But when I can get in a room like this where we have a couple hundred people and I'll start giving my offering and you start giving your offering, all of a sudden, begins to move in this place and all of a sudden there's so much Holy Ghost in here there comes a cloud of the Shekinah glory in this place because there are people that have brought an offering 
We don't sing to sing. We don't clap to clap. We don't dance to dance. We don't do that, but we bring an offering. An offering. We bring a Corbin. We bring a Corbin. We bring a Corbin. That's why Bishop preached years and years ago. He preached, you can tell about, you can tell a lot about a man by watching him worship. Why? Because if you don't have a relationship with God, then praise and worship means nothing to you. But notice, praise and worship has never been about you. It was always about Him. It was never meant to get you here. Come on, because the modern church, well, how'd you like that? What songs do you like? What do you want to sing? I don't care if you sing with a twang. I don't care if you sing off key. I don't care if you sing slow. I don't care if you sing so fast. We're talking in tongues. It doesn't matter what we're singing because it's not about what we like or don't like. There are some songs in here that we start singing. And boy, all of a sudden, Butch starts to tapping because you start to feel something. I know it was the blood. Mm. I know it was the blood. Yes, I, I know it was the blood that saved me. One day when I was lost, Jesus died upon the cross. And I know it was the blood that saved me. Oh, 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 I know it was the blood. I got to build an offering for a moment. Was the blood. Yeah, I know it was the blood that saved me. One day when I was lost. Yay! And I know it was the blood saved me. You know what? You like that. We like that. But you know what? How about this one? It's never gone out. It's never gone out. Where's Brother Whaley at? Though Satan has tried many times to make me doubt. But when I feel that warmth inside, I know my soul is satisfied. The flame has flickered, but the fire never gone out. Some of you are like, well, that's a little more my style, back from my roots. And then there's other ones, living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified, freed me forever. One day he's coming back. Glorious day. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified, freed me forever. One day he's coming back. Glorious day. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified, freed me forever. One day he's coming back, glorious day. Hey, 
It doesn't matter which one of those is your favorite. The fact of the matter is when we begin to sing, baby, you better get out of my way because I'm about to build an offering. Oh, if somebody would take about 60 seconds and let some smoke come up. Let some smoke come up. something good in this place I smell something good because we're coming with some offering yay thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus Someone just forget about 30 seconds where you are. We stepped into something in here. We stepped into something. Come on, we stepped into something. Oh, just forget for a moment where you are. There's something beginning to move in this place. Oh, there's fire that's beginning to burn in this place. Praise is not the vehicle of emotion. Praise is not the vehicle of hypeness. But praise is the vehicle of nearness. Because the more I praise, the closer he gets.
That's why I like that song, I wish somebody's soul would catch on fire. Because I wish somebody tonight that would get the Lord to get a hold of you so much that you become so consumed about the, 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 the purity of your offering. That the sacrifice of your praise. There was three. Let me finish here. Let me just, I'm, I'm almost done. But the three offerings. We had the burnt offering, which happened when you first walked in. We enter his gates with thanksgiving. Come with praise. Sacrifice of praise. The New Testament says. The second offering was the grain offering. The grain offering was given based off what you did with the work of your hands. You had the plow. You had the sow. You had the reap. But because of what that did, you came and presented that. So we come with praise. But offering time, giving time, is not an intermission of the service. It's as equal of importance. Because here's why. The third one is... Most call it the peace offering, but it's really the fellowship offering. They get the word peace because of the word wording there. But it's a fellowship offering. The first three offerings were the three of the five that would produce a sweet smell and savor to God. Only the first three. The last two didn't do that. It was the first three. The first one, burnt offering. Praise. Second offering, grain offering bringing of our substance, what we've worked for. We went out, we worked, we worked 40 hours a week. We come and we give some of that to God in worship and offering to him, Corbin. The third one is the fellowship offering. It was the only one of the three where the offerer was allowed to eat the meat, part of the meat that was being offering, offered. And the idea is, as you offered the fellowship offering, you would eat a portion and the priest would eat a portion. And that fellowship that you had would not only be fellowship coming this way, but it would be representative fellowship coming this way. What is vertical fellowship called? Prayer. So the first offering is praise. Second offering is the giving. The third offering is the offering of prayer. Prayer for to God, prayer for one another. And it's those three offerings that bring a sweet savor to him. Why do you think there are three elements in all services? There have been services we didn't preach. But in every service, there's praise. Usually when we begin, why? Because that's the first offering. Why do you think the second, the, usually the other thing we do is giving? Not because we need money. Because it's an opportunity for you to bring some Corbin and get closer to God by giving from what you've earned and worked for. But you say, God, because of my relationship with you, I want to give some of this to you. Not to the church, but through the church. And the third thing, not all churches do but this, do this, but the third thing we promote, praying to him, praying for one another, connecting to him, and letting him flow through as we connect to others. Prayer is the only thing that we're allowed to consume on ourself. Praise about him. 
giving about Him. But the third, the fellowship offering, is communication with Him. We give some to Him, He gives some to us through that prayer. And these three offerings are the offerings that produce a sweet savor and smell to the heavenly temple. Church is not a religious thing. Yes, we're out of the Old Testament sacrifices. Don't be bringing no goats and stuff up in here. We don't need that. Best leave that at home. I ate goat one time because I had to, and that will be the last time unless I have to again. It's one thing to eat it, but it's another thing to watch it cook. Just, I don't want to go there. We're on a Daniel fast. Goat sounds pretty good right now. <laughs> so we don't bring physical because he came, he, Jesus became that sacrifice. But you know what? When you brought that burnt offering, he said, don't, 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 don't go out there and get this scraggly fella. Don't look around and say, well, his leg is broke. So I really don't need him. Let's take him. Oh, look, look, he he got one eye and walks around chasing his tail all day. That looks like the perfect little fellow to get rid of. We don't need him. He said, look out. Which is the strongest, healthiest, best looking? That's the one I want. Can you imagine? You're a farmer. You're, you're, you're trying to make ends meet. And you got to take your top. Not your bottom, your top, the one that's going to give you the most yield, and that's the one you take and you give. So you know what? When I give God my praise, I don't need no one-eyed praise. Oh, I'm tired. I've had a long day. That's good. Where's that? I get it. There are times we come in, we're weary. You, some of y'all work crazy hours. I understand. I get it. I, I'm some of you. I don't know how you, I don't know how you, you sit here and stay awake. Some of you don't stay awake. <laughs> I get it. We don't always walk in here jolted, but the back of the matter is, is that God said, just give me if it's just a moment, give me what you got. Give me your best. Maybe your best today is not what your best is tomorrow, but give me what you got today. And when you bring that grain offering, don't bring me the rotted stuff. Bring me the best stuff you got. Don't look in the bottom of your purse and get the crinkliest, nastiest, sweatiest $1 bill that's like an origami puzzle trying to get it taken out of the offering. Ask the usher. Some is like, man, it's like a, what is this, a crane, a turtle dove? Would be. <laughs> get the crispest one you've got. Go to the ATM before church and get some new ones. Bring them in here crisp. You say, that's silly. I don't know. How, how good do you want to smell? You say, well, that's, that's kind of too far out there. I don't know. What are you smoking? And the third one, prayer. Don't be coming in here and just, you know, oh, Brother Vernon has a need. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Are you call, I call it the exit prayer. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God is good. Little, little hallelujah and a pat. It's sort of like 
Let's wrap it up, buddy. If he ain't done it yet, he ain't doing it now. Goodness gracious, man. Would you stop praying? Amen. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. You laugh because you know you tried it. You got the exit prayer. I mean, you come over the first time. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to touch Brother Renell tonight. Whatever your need is. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Sorry. Sorry, buddy. It's not your night. <laughs> but I don't want to leave you there. So I'm going to just exit out. Amen. Praise God. What would happen? What would happen if we made it in our mind that when we came to church, we were going to smell good? And everything we did, we were going to make it sure we smelled good. And then everything we do, we knew what we were doing it for. It wasn't for a religious obligation. It wasn't because that's what we're supposed to do. But everything I do gets me closer to him. If that offering can get my relationship even a fraction closer to him. Whew, my God. Can you imagine in God, the unlimited one, what a fraction closer can get you? Yeah, you might, you might, you might not walk out speaking in tongues with an accent because you just got just absolutely God came down and said your life. It may not happen. But you know what? Even if you walked out and you were just an inch closer. Boy, an inch can make all the difference. And so if we made up in our mind when we came to church, everything that we offered to him, every Corbin that we gave to him, we would give it with the idea that we're giving it because every time we give, it gives us a step closer to him. You know what? I understand. Some have taken the idea of Corbin and have turned it into tradition. Just like the Pharisees took Corbin and turned it into a man-made tradition. We have taken things in church and ideas and turned it into tradition. Well, you know, you don't have. Some churches believe you don't even have to have music. Some believe it's, well, you know what? You read Psalms. Well, Psalm says this. Well, you know, that's Old Testament. We don't have to have it. Some churches don't, some churches, some people don't believe in giving. Well, that's because that's that. And that's Old Testament. That's all, that's not applicable to us today. Every time you hear that, and there have been, and I'm going to get, I didn't get fired last week. I may get fired this week. We've had people in this church that have filtered through here that had that attitude. And some people have got sucked into that mess without stopping and realizing, am I following someone who has fruit that I want in my life? We listen to the word without looking at the fruit. Because every one of those per people that had that attitude, well, you don't need to give to the church because you don't know what they're doing with it. And you don't need to do that because that's Old Testament. Watch them. They got the Michael Jackson moonwalk because they're going. Because you know what? And I don't mean this. And if they're watching, they watch this. I love you. I don't mean anything against you. But not one of them stuck around. Why? Because it's about relationship. It's not about what you're pulling out of your pocket. It's about what's in here that God cares about.
Paul said. He gave it. It came up as a sweet savor. And that smell got God's attention. He said, I'm going to supply all your needs according to the riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Something that begins to happen when we get the idea of what we're doing and why we're doing it. That was the problem. The Pharisees lost sight of what they were doing and why they were doing it. And because of that, they decided what to do and what not to do based on the convenience or their own ideology or the convenience of their flesh. And sometimes when we lose track of the meaning of things, we say, well, praise my God. If they sing that song again, I'm going to shoot myself in the head. If they play that, other, we sing the same 10 songs every week. Well, you know what? Maybe the people leading your worship, that's all they can play. But you know what? It doesn't matter. If you sing Amazing Grace every week, that doesn't stop God from working. Because something begins to happen. Because ultimately, bottom line, all this... Talked about last week, the three chairs of, of the church. Talked about this week. Yeah, we used some different things, but at the core of it, it all boils down to one thing. A relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you lose sight of relationship and it becomes church, then all this stuff. That was the thing. The Pharisees lost sight of relationship. They had turned it into regulations and do this and do this. And if you do all this, you'll get God's attention. And then, 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 then don't do that. And you can. No, it's bottom line. It's just relationship. I love him because he first loved me. And the things I do, I don't do out of the tradition of service. I don't do them because that's what the Pentecostal movement does. Well, honey. You need to start looking around at the Pentecostal movement because the Pentecostal movement, some of this stuff they're not even doing. Some people have lost their smoke, so they have to start using smoke. Seriously. You know why churches have gone to smoke during worship? They're proven we've lost the smoke. So we're going to produce the smoke. Oh, boy. I'm sure the bishop's going to find out about this one. Somehow today, I pray in the name of Jesus. If I've made you mad, hug me afterwards. I'm sweaty, but I love you. But I hope somewhere, somewhere, somebody has gotten the seed of relationship in you. And if you have the seed, I pray that God has gotten in you and you want to go farther. Can we stand tonight? Draw me close to you. Never let me go. I lay it all down again. To hear you say that I'm your friend. You are my desire. Nothing else will do. Help me out. I lost it, Trish. Where is it at? No one else can. Yay, there you go. Help me, somebody. 
and feel the warmth of your embrace. Find the way. There we go. Bring me back to you. Can we sing this now? You're all I want. You're all I've ever needed. You're all I want. Help me know you. I want your all I've ever needed. Your all I want. Help me know you are near. One more time, can we sing? Oh, your all I want. Jesus, you're all I've ever needed. You're all I want. Help me know you are near. Help me know you are near. Can we just lift our hands one more time and love him? Thank you, Jesus. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. 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 Praise God. God bless you. Don't forget, I mentioned it. Um, pray for those that are in the path of the storm. I mentioned brother and sister Humphrey. I'm sure I'm missing somebody else, but, uh, I was just told brother, uh, Jordan Mislanic is trying to get out of Charleston. And so we're going to, we need to keep him in prayer. The Lord's hand be upon him. Praise God. Would you shake hands with somebody? Greet them. God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight. Regular service in your location Sunday morning. God bless you.